and welcome to the podcast Buffy and the Art of Story Season 5. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. Today we are talking about Season 5, Episode 11, Triangle, where Anya and Willow conjure an evil troll as Buffy deals with post-Riley life. I am Lisa M. Lilly, novelist, writing coach, and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com, where you can learn more about fiction writing, publishing, and book marketing. As to Triangle, during the recap, I'll focus on protagonist problems, why the running season arcs for Spike, Xander, Buffy, and Dawn aren't quite subplots, a couple less than dramatic plot turns that rob the story of some momentum, and what happens when we break characters for jokes. There are no spoilers until we get to the end where I'll talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Triangle aired the first time on January 9, 2001. It was written by Jane Espenson and directed by Christopher Hibbler. Triangle starts with Xander and Anya in bed. Xander is musing that lately he keeps feeling there's something he's supposed to do that he forgot about, and then he realizes that Riley asked to borrow a wrench about three weeks ago, and Xander feels like he ought to give it to him. Anya points out that, well, that won't happen unless Riley comes back, not for the wrench, but just to come back. So this is a minor conflict to draw the audience into the story. It's our opening conflict, and it fills in some exposition that Riley left a while ago and that Xander continues to be the character perhaps most attuned to Riley. The dialogue continues and also reminds the reader how sudden Riley's departure was. Plus, it calls back to the Zeppo, that episode where Xander diffused a bomb in the school basement, because Anya says, Xander, if you ever decide to go, I want a warning, like big flashing red lights and one of those clocks that counts down like a bomb in a movie, and there's a whole bunch of colored wires, and I'm not sure which one to cut, but I guess the green one, and then at the last second, no, the red one, and click, it stops with three-tenths of a second left, and then you don't leave. Like that, okay? Xander smiles and says, check, big bomb clock. This opening conflict relates to the not-quite subplot in Triangle of Buffy getting over Riley, and it relates, though, less directly to the main plot about the troll because that troll plot is partly about Anya's and Xander's relationship. Now we get some information about Anya that fills in what we need to know for the episode about her past. As Xander holds Anya, she says, maybe it's her, meaning Buffy, and that kind of breakup won't happen to them because it's Buffy's fault. She couldn't make it work with Angel, and then she let Riley 
go. Anya continues that as a vengeance demon, she saw the same women over and over again, and that after you smite a few of them, you start to think it might be something that they're doing too. Sander doesn't think it's a pattern with Buffy, though it's just... And then he pauses and says, but then it happened again. And he continues, I wonder how she's dealing with it. This is a funny transition to the next scene at 2 minutes 17 seconds in because we see the back of a young woman in a nun's habit. But that's not Buffy. A vampire attacks and Buffy jumps into frame and fights it off as the young nun watches. When it's over, Buffy reassures her about the vampire, then asks if being a nun means she has to abjure the company of men. And how's it going, the abjuring? The nun says, uh, okay, and Buffy responds, yeah, do you have to be, like, super religious? The nun says, well, uh, and Buffy asks, how's the food? And we go to credits. At four minutes, three seconds in, we come back to Buffy training with Giles. She's punching his padded hands as he critiques her form, and they talk about whether the Watcher's Council can help with glory. Giles is going to England to see them because they have vast resources at their disposal, and he's exhausted all his own. But he promises Buffy he won't mention Dawn. We are about 10% through Triangle, and at this point in the episode is where we usually see the story spark or inciting incident that gets the main plot rolling. Here, that spark, in a sense, is the fact that Giles is leaving because that will set off the conflict between Anya and Willow. There's a later moment that does that more clearly. And also, even if we see Giles leaving as the spark, he decided to leave at some point before this scene. So the story spark isn't super clear here. When Buffy asks, Giles agrees that yes, he will need to tell the council that Glory is looking for something called the key. Buffy's not happy about that, but the council will need to know Glory's goal to be any help. And this moves somewhat the season arc about Glory and Dawn. It's not quite a subplot because there's no real antagonist in this episode. And Buffy and Giles are not opposed to one another here. Buffy's worried, but she doesn't disagree with what Giles is doing. Giles does say that if the initiative was around, he'd ask them instead to try to figure out Glory, but they're gone and Riley was the last link to the government. This brings us to another few moments of exposition being revealed through minor conflict because Buffy looks upset and Giles apologizes for mentioning Riley. Buffy reassures him it's okay. He can say Riley's name. People break up and for a while it feels like the end of the world, but, and Giles says, not so huge. And Buffy responds, not so huge. I just said it feels like the end of the world. Don't you listen? Giles looks truly distraught, and she tells him she's teasing, sort of. He hates to leave her when she's feeling bad, but she says if it'll lead to information about Glory, she's thrilled to have him gone. At seven minutes, five seconds in, Anya also expresses how thrilled she is that Giles is leaving. 
And he's a bit put out at how delighted everyone is. Anya's excited because she assumes she'll get to run the store. Giles is a little hesitant, and Buffy and Willow assure Giles that they will help, which does not make Anya happy. Xander chimes in that he's sure Anya can handle it herself. Giles says he has complete trust in Anya for inventory and money, but dealing with customers requires a certain uh, finesse. Anya protests that she's got finesse coming out of her bottom. Up until this point, all the characters seem pretty consistent with earlier in the season to me. Buffy is a bit off because she's on edge emotionally, but that completely fits Riley having left so recently. Now, though, Willow tells Giles, don't worry, she'll help with the shop. It'll be ship shape. And she is super chipper and especially dismissive of Anya. This does fit some of what was built in previous episodes where we saw a bit of sniping between Anya and Willow. But from here on, both characters will be so over the top. It's being played for humor. And I think my issue here is uh, everyone has different types of humor they like best. This is not my favorite type. Anya wants Xander to tell Giles again that she can handle it, but Willow urges Xander to support her, and Xander changes the subject and asks Buffy about her patrolling. Buffy says, I killed something in a convent last night, and Xander responds, in any other context, a frightening statement, but here, a welcome distraction. The scene shifts to Buffy's house, and Buffy and Dawn are very happy to see Joyce still with a bandana over her head, but dressed in regular clothes, her discarded bathrobe on the bed. Buffy and Dawn both make fun for a bit about how long Joyce wore that bathrobe, which fills us in on her recovery and gives us a sense of time passing since the last episode. At 9 minutes 56 seconds in, in Buffy's room, Dawn notices Buffy took down Riley's photos and is surprised Buffy didn't do it sooner. Buffy says she's not still angry at Riley and that, according to everyone who's not her, his leaving wasn't so fast or sudden. It was kind of gradual. Buffy shares how much it hurts and her mixed feelings, and Dawn is really supportive. It's a very nice moment between the two of them. This is part of why I don't feel like we truly have a Buffy subplot here, because while Buffy was telling Giles she's okay, and we see through the episode that her feelings probably run deeper than she quite grasps, she is aware of her mixed feelings, and she's able to be open about it with Dawn. So we don't necessarily get a character arc for Buffy in this episode, but we do get to see how she is reacting. Buffy says maybe Riley will hate the jungle and come back and want to try again. And she goes on, I could say all the things I didn't get 
to say. This is another great transition because we cut to Spike, who says he has something to tell her and holds out a box of chocolates and tries to apologize for being the one to share what Riley was up to. The camera pans back and we realize he's not talking to Buffy, he's talking to the mannequin with Buffy's blue sweater on it and the blonde wig. So Spike is practicing his apology. Despite that it's only imaginary Buffy, the apology doesn't go well. It turns into an argument as Spike defends himself and says he was trying to help her. Did she want to go on not knowing? He gets angry that she still hates him, calls her an ungrateful bitch, and hits her on the head with a box of candy. Then Spike sighs, frowns, puts the mannequin together again, smooths the wig, picks up the chocolates, and starts over after replacing a couple of the candies. This is a running arc for Spike in the episode, and I see it as the closest to a subplot that we get because he will eventually see Buffy for the first time. And while he doesn't get to follow through and give his apology, there is something of a resolution as he at least gets past that first awkward for him meeting with Buffy post being the messenger of very bad tidings about Riley. We're now about 14 minutes through. Usually before this, we see the first major plot turn. That's the one that comes from outside the protagonist, spins the story in a new direction, and sometimes raises the stakes. I think of it as the one-quarter twist because in a novel, that's usually where you see it. In the Buffy episodes, it does sometimes come as late as a third through, and that's roughly where we are now. At the magic box, Willow takes ingredients for a spell. Off the shelves, she wants to create simulated sunlight magically that could help kill vampires. Anya, though, isn't impressed. She doesn't think they should be trying things when Giles is gone. She's very worried and very vocal about that. And Willow says Anya is the fish in the bowl in Cat and the Hat, always warning everyone they will get in trouble and telling them they shouldn't do things while mom is away. Anya's confused, and Willow and Tara explain the book. Willow shares the things the cat did, like balance a bunch of stuff, including that fish in the bowl, and goes on, but don't try it for real when you're six, because then you're not allowed to have fish for five years. Anya's mad that they're referring to a book she doesn't know about and thinks that they go out of their way to make her feel left out. She also is upset that they're stealing by taking the ingredients for the spell without paying. Tara has been grinning through a lot of this, to me, uncharacteristically insensitive to Anya's irritation. Not that Tara owes it to Anya to take care of her feelings, but normally we see Tara trying to get people to get along. So it struck me as a little odd. Now, though, Tara switches into that mode and tells Willow that maybe they should just pay for the materials. 
But Willow argues, no, Giles would want them to do this to help Buffy. And anyway, it's not stealing. It's just taking things without paying. Quote, in what twisted dictionary is that stealing? End quote. I do really enjoy that line. However, in addition to feeling Tara is a bit off, this is where both Willow and Anya start becoming so over the top. We've never seen Willow act like this before in the store, as if she can just help herself to things. And it doesn't, to me, fit Willow's character. And I also don't buy that she would do it just because Giles is gone. At least so far, Willow has been more of a rule follower. And I'll talk in foreshadowing why the story might go that way. But the first time I watched, it felt jarring to me. It would have worked better for me if she was just so excited about this new spell that she rushed in without thinking and started gathering ingredients and then maybe didn't have the money to pay for them. I do recognize the -the over-the-top nature is all for the comedy of Anya and Willow clashing and comes out of the fact that neither of them is talking about what's really bothering them. And this is where that what kind of comedy do you like starts rearing its head for me. I'm not a fan of slapstick and goofy comedy, which I think is more what the aim of this episode is. I more enjoy comedy grounded in truth and the genuine character conflict, which we will see later with Spike. But I would love to hear your thoughts, especially if you thought Triangle was fantastic or is one of your favorite episodes. Willow now says that they could help Anya do some spells because Anya does miss having powers. They could start by teaching her to float things. Anya is almost drawn in and then says, no, wait, they are trying to manipulate her. Willow starts making various things float to demonstrate which upsets Anya more and more, and now Xander enters. Anya tells him Willow is a burglar. Willow protests she is just trying to help Giles. And Tara tells Willow, maybe don't put Xander in the middle. Xander then runs to Tara seeking protection. As I said, I would love to hear your comments about Triangle, and I do have some listener comments on Fool for Love. I apologize to anyone who has commented and I haven't answered and for taking so long to share these. As you are listening to this, I am just returning from a very long trip, so I have been recording in advance, so I'm not as up-to-date as I like to be. This comment on Fool for Love is from Tiffany on Facebook, who says this is one of her all-time favorite episodes and goes on, you asked about Buffy telling Spike, you're beneath me, and I always assumed he told her the whole story. I assumed he made himself that vulnerable to her. When I saw this episode for the first time, I gasped at how mean that line was. It was just plain cruel in a way I don't expect from Buffy. 
The friend I was watching with reminded me all the ways that Spike's been cruel to her and that maybe he deserved it. But in that moment, evil vampire or not, I felt like when someone makes themselves that vulnerable to you, no matter how you feel about them, using it against them is a terrible thing. I felt for Buffy too, though. What Spike said about Slayers being in love with death was probably a little too on the nose for her. And when people feel afraid, physically or emotionally, Emotionally, it's easy to lash out. And Tiffany, I, I feel like that is such a great breakdown of everything emotionally that is happening in that moment. And thanks for sharing your view that Spike did tell Buffy what he was like when he was human. I suspect that is probably right because otherwise it just doesn't work that Buffy happens on those same words. And it really underscores how cruel her comment is. Patron of the show, Steve, though, disagreed and said that he did not believe Spike would ever be that vulnerable with Buffy. Another comment on Fool for Love, Jarrett on Twitter, pointed out that Tim Minier directed the flashback scenes in the Buffy episode because he also directed them on the Angel crossover episode. And thank you so much for pointing that out because I had not mentioned Tim Minear's role in directing and those flashbacks were so key to the story. And these are the flashbacks of the Boxer Rebellion. If you have comments about Triangle or anything on Buffy or the Buffy and the Art of Story podcast episodes, you can tweet me at Lisa M. Lily, L-I-S-A, M as in Marie, L-I-L-L-Y. Visit Buffy and the Art of Story on YouTube. You can get there through lisalily.com slash YouTube or go to the Buffy and the Art of Story Facebook page. I would love to hear from you. At the magic box, Willow downplays the conflict, but then she puts magic powder on the cash register, says a spell, and makes it disappear. Anya is truly distraught. Willow is as well. That wasn't her intention. And she does bring the register back, but the receipt tape is all messed up up. Anya quickly checks the money because it was in danger and Willow makes fun of her imitating her and saying, I like money better than people. People can so rarely be turned in for goods and services. A nice reference to the game of life, which Anya loves. There's more bickering. Xander tells them to figure out the issue without him and rushes out of the store. Willow asks Tara, who does she think Xander was more mad at? And Tara urges the two of them to talk it out, and she leaves as well. At 18 minutes, four seconds in, Willow takes ingredient after ingredient off the shelf. Anya repeats the name of each and its price and writes it all down in a list. Willow is going to do the sunshine spell, which she says is very delicate. Any non-ritual word can disrupt it once she starts. Anya nonetheless interrupts multiple times. I find her actual comments to be very Anya-like, 
But some of the times when she speaks don't quite work for me because Anya knows how dangerous spells can be. So I don't quite buy her doing this. Willow gets quite angry and they both start arguing while sparkly colors swirl around. Willow tells Anya to just say whatever is really making her mad, just like she says everything else. And she tells Anya, quote, let it out end quote. And now we come to the major reversal of the episode. Typically, we see that at the midpoint of an episode, and we are almost there. We're at 19 minutes, 39 seconds. So a couple minutes early, Willow's let it out phrase has released a giant troll with a hammer. He appears and starts smashing things all over the shop. And Willow says, he's not a ball of sunshine. So definite reversal for Willow and her spell and for Anya and her duty to take care of the shop. And we cut to a commercial. So this is a great point to talk about who the protagonist is in this episode. It's not that clear. And I think that is also why this isn't one of my favorite episodes. The troll places Anya, Willow, and Xander in a triangle, and it's Buffy's show. We do get quite a lot from her point of view, but the most time is spent with Willow and Anya together. Their time combined outweighs Buffy's time, and we start with Anya and Xander, where Anya expresses her fears about Xander leaving, which leans a tiny bit toward Anya over Willow as protagonist. Also, the second prong of a three-prong protagonist analysis is that the protagonist should actively pursue a goal throughout the episode. Buffy has a sort of goal of getting through the post-breakup time. She does talk to Giles and Dawn about it, but it's mostly in the background and is mostly reactive, so that doesn't make her a good protagonist. Xander, we didn't get a lot in his point of view, and his goal is to stay out of the middle. He is somewhat active in that, but he is not there for so much of the episode that I don't see the protagonist as being him. Anya's goal is to take care of the shop while Giles is gone and take care of things. Willow's goal is to do spells while Giles is away, and perhaps more particularly to do this sunshine spell. So Anya and Willow both have active goals. This prong, too, though, leans toward Anya because she consistently pursues this goal from the moment of Giles' announcement through the very end of the episode. Finally, the last prong is who has the most at stake. Buffy's well-being is at stake, but Willow's and Anya's lives will be at stake later. Xander has his relationships with both Willow and Anya in jeopardy. But Anya has one more thing at stake over and above Xander and Willow, which is her entire competence to run the store in Giles' absence. And we know how much that matters to Anya. 
finally, Willow and Anya do have an active goal of protecting Xander, but both of them are more or less unaware that that's what's driving their behavior until later in the episode. Overall, I concluded that Anya is the protagonist here, which makes Willow the antagonist. Her job is to push against Anya, which she does throughout nearly the entire episode, even after the troll appears. So we do have a strong conflict here, despite that it isn't obvious on first look which one of these two is the protagonist. The protagonist questions are part of why this episode feels more to me like a series of vignettes to move along some season arcs like Joyce recovering, Giles seeking help from the council, Buffy dealing with Riley leaving, all stitched together by a funny subplot with Willow and Anya, but no main plot. At 20 minutes, 8 seconds in, Buffy and Tara are leaving class together. Buffy talks with Tara about feeling sad over Riley, and Tara is sympathetic. Buffy comments that maybe Riley needed to be where he was needed, something I never noticed before, but definitely fits with that stress in the previous episode on Riley feeling unneeded. Tara tells Buffy about how she and Xander cleared out of the magic box earlier because of the conflict between Anya and Willow, and she also says Xander was upset and was a bit angry. Buffy asks more and more questions about the incident and becomes more upset. When Tara tries to minimize it, Buffy says little things get bigger and bigger and you don't catch them. And then there's a whole huge thing. And she starts to cry quite loudly and dramatically, sobbing, saying that Anya and Sander have a beautiful, beautiful love. And it's clearly meant to be over the top and comic. No attempt at all for it to be Buffy realistically crying. This isn't the lovely moment with Dawn. This is the comedy cry. And she hugs Tara and Tara hugs her. And Buffy says, Anya and Xander have a miraculous love, but we can hardly understand her because she's crying so hard. At 22 minutes, 22 seconds in, Anya drives Giles' red convertible. She and Willow are trying to follow the trolls' trail of destruction as they argue about whose fault it is that he appeared. Anya says she just figured out the left pedal on the car. It makes the car stop and she breaks suddenly. Willow asks why Anya didn't fess up that she didn't know how to drive, but Anya says she couldn't know if she knew how unless she tried it and then says, hold on, I'm going to press the right pedal harder. I expect us to accelerate. They also argue about Giles and Xander. Anya says Xander agrees with her, and Willow says, sure, Xander doesn't step out of line. We cut to Xander, who does step sideways and run into Spike at the bronze. Spike follows Xander to his table, saying it's just to bug Xander, and he talks about the great chicken wings and onion blossoms. Spike also comments that he'd love to eat Xander instead if he didn't have the chip in his head. Sanders pretty cranky and Spike asks if it's because of Buffy. 
Xander has no idea what Spike's talking about and is also puzzled when Spike says something about whether Buffy is holding grudges. So it's obvious Buffy has not mentioned Spike's role in her finding out about Riley getting bitten by vampires. Back at the magic box, Buffy and Tara are very worried about all the destruction and Willow and Anya not being there. Buffy reassures Tara that they will find Willow. At 25 minutes, 26 seconds in, it's now dark out and the troll is knocking over trash cans and terrorizing crowds. The timeline here is a little unclear because the troll is causing so much destruction. It's hard to believe that Anya and Willow have not been able to find him yet. Also, he doesn't seem to be moving all that fast. But the troll now smells something in the air beer and heads off toward the bronze. At 26 minutes in, inside the bronze, Spike and Xander are playing pool as Xander tells Spike about Anya and Willow putting him in the middle. I do find it kind of fun that these two are talking and doing a little bonding because we almost never get to see that. Xander says that also Willow gets this, quote, what the hell do you see in her look, close quote, when he talks about Anya. Spike commiserates. He knows that look. People used to give it to him about Drew. Xander brushes that off saying Drew was insane and then goes on about how torn he is between his best friend and his girlfriend. Spike asks what the Slayer thinks about all this strife, which puzzles Xander. Spike goes on. He guesses Buffy's preoccupied, which is understandable, quote, with all the upset, with all the blaming of innocent bystanders, end quote. Xander is even more confused. The troll enters, bangs into Spike, and then grabs a keg and drinks straight from it and says, ale, fragrant ale. He asks for more and stronger ale and some plump, succulent babies to eat. Xander says he's going to call Buffy unless Spike wants to fight the troll. And Spike says, yeah, I could do that, but I'm paralyzed with not caring very much. I love this line as well as Spike's previous one and his next one because the troll asks Spike if he knows where to find babies. Spike glances at Xander and says, what do you think, the hospital? And this is what I mean about humor that arises out of Spike's genuine character and his vulnerability in everything he says and does when he is grousing about Buffy blaming innocent bystanders. Xander tells Spike to shut up, and then he tries to persuade the troll to sit down and eat something else, maybe roast pigs. Spike throws in that they've got this onion thing. At 28 minutes, 7 seconds in, Willow and Anya enter and see the troll and the destruction. Willow wishes Buffy were there, and Buffy enters and says, I'm here. And Willow says, I wish I had a million dollars. They all look at her, and she says, just checking. Buffy asks what's going on. Spike takes a deep breath, steps forward, and says, hello, Buffy clearly apprehensive that she's going to yell at him about Riley. That is the last thing on her mind, though, and she looks right past him. Willow and Anya blame each other for the troll and argue, but Anya finally says we can stop him. 
and tells Willow to do the spell. The troll yells at them to stop and calls Anya and Yanka and says she's determined to stop his fun, just like when they were dating. And Buffy now says, you dated a troll? And Willow responds, and we're, what, surprised by this? Anya explains she turned Olaf into a troll after he cheated on her, and that's how she got to be a vengeance demon. Olaf claims he didn't cheat, not in his heart, and it was just one wench, and Anya will die for this. Sander points out that Olaf seems to enjoy being a troll, and Olaf agrees, but then filthy dirty witches trapped him inside that crystal, a curse on all witches. So this is why Willow is in danger along with Anya. She starts the spell again, but nothing happens and the troll laughs. Fighting starts, and during the fight, the troll knocks over this huge shelf above the bar that holds all kinds of alcohol, and it falls on people, including Buffy, and the troll gets out amidst all the chaos. At 31 minutes in, Buffy gets out from under the shelving. She tells Xander to follow the troll and Willow and Anya to go to the magic box and figure out a spell. I see that as the last major plot turn that I think of as the three-quarter turn, and it does come roughly three-quarters through here. It should grow out of the midpoint reversal, which it does because that reversal conjured the troll, and now we have another new direction, literally, as Willow and Anya go back to the shop, but also figuratively because this is where they shift at least somewhat into working together. However, this is not as much of a new direction as we typically see with that last major plot turn because the whole second half of the episode is really about trying to fight the troll and reverse the spell and that will continue now. But first, Spike helps some of the victims, putting something under one woman's head to make her comfortable. Buffy asks what he's doing. And he tells her he's not feeding, not even a taste, even though there's blood everywhere. He knew she wouldn't like it. Buffy can't believe he wants credit for not feeding on helpless victims. And Spike says, well, yeah. She thinks he's disgusting and leaves. And Spike says, what's it take? So this is what I meant when I said there was a sort of resolution for Spike because at least he's gotten past that awkward for him first conversation with Buffy post-Riley revelation, but Buffy has no idea that Spike has been stressing about this. At the magic box, Willow pulls out books. Anya sets out ingredients. No more tallying up the prices, though she does still refer to what Willow stole. Willow asks Anya why she's so rude, what her problem is. She's been human forever. Learn the rules. And Anya says rules are stupid, which is very interesting considering that Willow has been breaking rules here, and Anya has been arguing for technical rules that Willow should pay for everything, though Willow does have a point that she is doing this spell to try to help Buffy. The two of them keep bickering even as they work together, and Willow's fears start to come out, particularly her fear about Anya, who, while no longer a demon, is not a run-of-the-mill human. Most humans can't turn Xander into a troll. Anya is shocked she'd never hurt 
Xander. And as a demon, she only hurt men who deserved it, leading Willow to comment on how much Anya enjoyed that. And she says, quote, you got your thousand years of hurting men gold watch, end quote. Willow also points out that Anya was not a demon when she turned Olaf into a troll. Anya argues that Willow's the one who has that kind of power now. In fact, Hoffren offered Willow Anya's old job. Also, Anya knows what broke up Xander and Cordelia, Willow and her lips. So now the heart of Anya's issue with Willow comes out. And Willow at first says, that's not what happened. And well, yes, it is, but she wouldn't do that now. Xander is her best friend. And also she's gay now. But Anya says Willow will always know Xander better than Anya does and can poison his mind against her. Finally, they both tell each other they're not going to hurt Xander. The troll breaks in, raving about the two of them. Xander runs in after him, tells the troll not to touch Willow or Anya, and he tries to fight Olaf, who easily knocks Xander away, badly injuring him. But Xander keeps fighting, and the troll is impressed with his courage and says he fights well, quote, although you are a tiny man, end quote. At 35 minutes, 48 seconds in, Olaf gives Xander a reward. He will kill only one of his women and Xander can choose which one. So there is a sort of arc or subplot for Xander here about being caught in the middle and forced to make a choice, but he still does not choose and he remains in the middle. And as we'll see, it's Anya who makes a choice, which again, I think shows she is the protagonist overall, but also shows this is not so much a subplot for Xander as just a demonstration of his character because he doesn't go through any growth or change here. Olaf's insistence that Xander chooses makes a great hook, however, and the show goes to commercial. Today's episode of Buffy in the Art of Story is sponsored by my own Awakening Supernatural Thriller series. In book one, The Awakening, Tara's mysterious pregnancy turns her life upside down. It sidetracks her plans for medical school, her boyfriend breaks up with her, and her parents question her mental health when she insists that she's never had sex. Only a stranger who belongs to a powerful cult believes her, but the cult becomes her sworn enemy when it's revealed that her child will be a girl. On the run and afraid, Tara sets out on a quest to discover whether she and her child are meant to save the world or destroy it. You can find book one at lisalily.com slash the hyphen awakening or follow the link in the show notes. It is a four book series that is complete, so you can also get it as a box set. (laughs) 
Xander refuses to choose between his girlfriend and his best friend. That's insane troll logic. Anya cheers Xander on, apparently hoping he'll choose her, but he keeps refusing. The troll holds his hammer over Xander's head and says he'll kill him if he doesn't choose. Xander still refuses, and Anya rushes forward and says, kill her instead. Don't take Xander. A huge moment for Anya, which also must go a long way to reassure Willow. Willow keeps saying a spell. She throws more magic dust, but the cash register disappears, not the troll. Buffy and Tara run in. Buffy attacks the troll, and Anya tells Buffy the troll's strength is in his hammer. We're now at the climax where the opposing forces have their final confrontation and resolve it. Anya's moment offering herself instead of Xander could have been a climax in another story, but since this is mainly about Anya versus Willow, I see the climax as starting when Anya goes to Willow and asks how can she help with the spell. Willow tells her to distract the troll, piss him off, and Anya asks how, and Willow tells her she has complete confidence in Anya's ability to piss off anyone. Anya then starts throwing out insults, which do distract Olaf while Willow continues the spell. The troll has Buffy. He flings her away and then confronts Anya over how aggravating and emasculating she is. He swings at her with a hammer, but Willow's spell disenchants it just in time. Anya and Willow congratulate each other. Buffy attacks again, but that hammer is still a pretty good weapon, and Anya clarifies that Olaf still has all his regular troll strength. The troll asks Buffy, who he calls minuscule blonde one, what she's fighting for. Anya is impossible to live with. Xander is ludicrous and far too breakable. And their love will never last. Now Buffy is really motivated and she steps up the fighting which provides some catharsis for her. I see her as fighting for Xander and Anya's love because she did not get to fight for her relationship with Riley. As Buffy fights, Anya and Willow stand on either side of Xander. Xander says to Anya, you really dated him? Anya says, yes. And Xander says, but you like me better. And Anya says, yes. She then tells him that Willow likes him too, but not in a sexy way. In a sense, that is the end of the climax. Willow and Anya have both come to terms with the different ways in which they love Xander and trust each other. But we do have the action climax here where Buffy says their love will last forever and knocks out the troll. We are in the falling action section of the plot where the story ties up loose ends, resolves any subplots, and in a series sometimes continues season arcs. You could see Buffy's troll knockout as part of the falling action, tying up the how do we get rid of the troll aspect of the plot. Willow does a spell to send Olaf away, 
And she and Anya explained to the others that they sent him to the land of the trolls, an alternate universe. Although Willow says that is tricky. It's like, quote, trying to hit a puppy by throwing a live bee at it, end quote. So the troll could be in crazy melty land or the world without shrimp or troll land. Buffy's just happy he's gone, and she got this nifty souvenir. She puts the hammer on a glass display case. The hammer falls and breaks everything in the case. Sander says, well, the place was trashed anyway. Buffy is so happy to see Anya and Xander together and good and alive that she cries again, sobbing loudly and blubbering a bit. At 41 minutes, 9 seconds in, we cut to the Summer's dining room. Giles comments on how he shudders to think how the place would have looked if he were gone more than three days. Buffy says maybe Willow could have cleaned it all up by magic then, and Giles says yes, because nothing could possibly go wrong with that. They talk about his visit to the council. Joyce is there too, and she doesn't understand why the other watchers made him go to England when they know nothing. But Giles says with the information he provided, now the council may have something to go on. He tells Buffy that, yes, they were interested in the key, but most of their theories about it are nonsensical. Dawn, unknown to them, has come downstairs, and she listens in right as Buffy says, quote, they don't know that it's Dawn, end quote. Joyce talks about how hard all this is to grasp. Dawn is her little girl. And then she says she can't think about this. It's two. And she doesn't finish. She gets up to go into the kitchen to get more milk. And Dawn, alone on the stairs, looks troubled. And we go to credits. That is it for Triangle, other than foreshadowing. If you found the breakdown of the plot points and turns helpful and want to apply them to your own writing, you can download free story structure worksheets at writingasasecondcareer.com slash story or go to writingasasecondcareer.com and look for help with your novel. If you're not staying for foreshadowing and spoilers, thank you so much for listening. I will be taking a mid-season break, so come back in four weeks on July 4th for the next episode, Season 5, Episode 12, Checkpoint, where the Watcher's Council comes to Sunnydale to test Buffy. And we are back for foreshadowing, which includes spoilers. First, a very fun foreshadowing. Spike talks about this onion thing the bronze has and his love of food and specifically the onion blossom will be a theme that goes all the way into season seven when he and Andrew bond over the onion blossom. My feeling about this episode being more like a series of vignettes is partly because while the vignettes move various season arcs along a bit, in other ways, they have no effect at all. In the next episode, the Watcher's Council will come to Sunnydale. And it doesn't seem, as Joyce points out, that there was any real good reason for Giles to go there. Though I suppose you could see it as a power move, which is what they will do in the next episode, try 
try to throw Buffy and Giles off base, make it seem like they have the power. So that does fit with that, but doesn't seem like it required a whole episode. Likewise, Buffy's blues over Riley don't lead to any significant change. We see her reaction. She doesn't necessarily seem like she worked through anything by the end of the episode. Willow and Anya's bickering lessens a bit going forward. But as I mentioned, it it felt a bit artificial anyway, and I don't think that this episode truly changes either of their relationships with Xander or with each other, but I will keep an eye out. I could be wrong about that. Spike and Buffy probably have the most interesting and significant interaction. We do, as viewers, want to know what happens when Buffy first sees Spike, since he was the messenger of what Riley was doing. And a lot of people have a kill the messenger feeling after something like that. It's not at all unreasonable that Spike fears that, though clearly his fears are exaggerated because of his feelings for Buffy. Past Spike, one might never have told her about Riley, but if he did, would have at least somewhat enjoyed her emotional pain and would not have cared if she was mad at him over it, but this Spike cares very much. And this episode does lay groundwork for the future when Buffy will find out about Spike's feelings for her. So there is quite a lot going on there. And while from Buffy's perspective, nothing changes, for Spike, this was a big moment. And while the Other things I just talked about could pretty easily be slipped into another episode. There's so much going on in Checkpoint that I feel like it would have been distracting to try to cover Spike and Buffy's relationship as well. There is a prop that does some foreshadowing, which is very fun, that troll hammer that breaks the glass on the display case. Buffy will use the hammer to fight glory. There's a great moment when Spike tries to lift it and can't. There is a bit of a retcon when we get to the last couple episodes because Anya refers to it as a hammer of a god to fight a god. And I don't think there is any suggestion in this episode that Olaf was turned into a troll god. But maybe I missed it, or maybe there is something later. If not, it could be the writers didn't plan to use that hammer, but somebody, much in the same way that Anya came up with the idea, realized that it could be pretty handy. Giles' comment about what would happen if he were gone more than three days feels like pretty significant foreshadowing for the end of season six. He will be gone for most of the season and the magic box will be utterly destroyed. It makes me wonder if the writers knew that's what was going to happen or if they were just foreshadowing in a more general sense, the dangers as Willow's magic grows. And that's where this discussion of the rules 
also feels significant and in some ways undercuts my comment about Willow taking these ingredients so cavalierly seeming out of character. Maybe that is the point that when it comes to magic more and more, Willow is not concerned about the rules. The opening scene where Anya tells Xander she wants warning if he's going to leave is so heartbreaking knowing what is coming that he will leave her at the altar with no warning. It is so much worse than what happens with Buffy and Riley and I really feel for Anya. Finally, Dawn overhearing part of the conversation, it's unclear exactly how much, but is a strong foreshadowing, and it adds to listening to fear where Dawn asked Buffy or told Buffy about how these other people, like Joyce, said things about Dawn not being real. Now she's overhearing something about it's not Dawn. And then in Blood Ties, she will pick up on how oddly everyone acts around her after they know about her being the key, and that will lead her to break into the magic box, read Giles' journals, and learn the truth about herself. This is an excellent example of small moments that build to a character action that in isolation might not be that believable that Dawn sneaks out alone at night to break into the magic shop, but is completely in character and believable as we watch this build. So that is it for foreshadowing and spoilers. Thank you again for listening, and a special thank you to patrons who support the show. Come back on July 4 in four weeks for the next episode, Checkpoint, where everyone in Buffy's life seems to be playing on her fears, threatening her power, and testing her strength. You can listen to back episodes of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalilly.com slash buffystory or lisalilly.com slash YouTube. You can also comment on the episodes, share them, or connect with me on Instagram or Twitter at Lisa M. Lilly or by visiting the Buffy and the Art of Story Facebook page. And you can find book editions of Buffy in the Art of Story at lisalilly.com slash buffybooks. Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy in the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC, copyright 2022. All rights reserved.